You are listening to the Restoration LA podcast. For more, visit us at restorationla.org. Hey, we are going to continue our uh, Ecclesia series today. Um, we are going to be, this is part two. And uh, if you don't know, if you weren't here last week, you can go back and check out the, um, you can check out the, the preach from last week. And really what we're, we're preaching on the church and, and just our understanding of what she is and, and, and how that relates to us and how we are a part of that and and what Jesus is, is, has meant and intended and, and just bringing some clarity uh, of who we are because sometimes we'll speak about the church like if it's something else. But how many of you know that we are the church? And we say that in, 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 a lot, in a lot of different times, we say, but we are the church, right? Um, but I think sometimes in other scenarios, we, we separate ourselves from her. And so just look at your neighbor and remind your neighbor that you are the church. If you have said yes to Jesus, you have become a living part of the body of Christ. And so uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about some of the components within the church that I think have needed some clarity and hopefully will, will help us as we engage with this thing that Jesus is building. So um, I want to start off with the local church. So um, the, the doctrine of the local church is not a primary doctrine. And let, let me just kind of bring some clarity. We, uh, uh, our elders and deacons team, we walked through this last week, and so some of this will be a refresher. A primary doctrine means heaven and hell issues, right? So a primary doctrine, a doctrine of salvation is primary, right? The, the, um, the, the, um, the sovereignty of God's word is a primary doctrine, right? Uh, the, 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 those heaven and hell issues. The, the thing about the local church is there are so many different expressions of who she is that a lot of those expressions believe that what they believe is primary, <laughs> Mean, meaning like it's the only expression. And so I want you to know this ahead of time, that I am not sharing our doctrinal stances about the local church at the expense of, of other expressions of local church. Are, are you hearing my heart? And so I'm not, if, if because we believe at Restoration LA that we want to be a biblical expression of the local church and we have taken the things from the Bible and made those foundational for us as a local church, it is not at the expense of someone or another local church that might be doing it differently. Now, I do believe that there are expressions that are unbiblical, but I don't believe that is the majority of churches. I really believe that most churches are doing what they believe is biblically accurate and wanting to express themselves as they honor a holy God and serve a loving king, right? And so again, I just don't, I don't want you to think, oh, I, I, I knew they were doing it wrong or any, that, that's, that's not what we're doing. We are, we are wanting our church to understand what this local expression of the body of Christ is 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 we have been how we have been called to express it through restoration Los Angeles. Are you guys cool with that? Okay. And so you think of salvation, atonement, um, the person, the work of Jesus Christ. These are examples of primary doctrines. 
And so the local church doctrine um, perhaps may, may not, is, is not as important as the person of Jesus as, as we know that Jesus is the, the, the central theme and focus of the kingdom of God. The church is not as much as we'd like to think so. The church is not the central theme and focus of the kingdom of God. It is Jesus Christ, right? He is the central theme and focus of the kingdom. But this is an extremely important doctrine for us as a church, because if you think about it, the church is where we have most problem, most of the problems, right? You just think about how, how, how much uh, um, damage has been caused by the local church. You, th you think about how much division and how much brokenness has, has come through the local church. And I'm not saying Restoration Los Angeles or the church next door. I'm just saying historically, the church has, has missed it in so many, throughout generations. If you look at our history, our history is not clean. And we have to be very honest about that because we are people and we are fallible. Jesus is not. He is perfect. He is perfect theology. And every doctrine that we stand on upon Jesus is, is un, un, unquestionably clean. When it comes to the church, honestly, friends, I think we need to do ourselves a, 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 a little service in diving into what we actually believe and how we actually walk that out. Because I think sometimes we just let others do it and we just go along with it. But we have to know that this is a part of who we are because we, again, are the church. You good? Okay. So how does the Bible define church? We, we see from last week's um, sermon, we recognize in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, Jesus says this, right? He says, I will build my church. I will build my church. And as he is building the church, that word there is ecclesia, right? The assembly or, or, or the gathering of what? And so this was, is where it's going to take us today because it's going to go a, a little deeper into the components, right? All Christians are part of the, of the body that makes up the church. Everyone who has said yes to Jesus is now a part of the church. How many of you have ever heard a Christian say, well, I love Jesus, but I can't stand the church? How many of you have ever, I won't ask how many of you have said that, <laughs> right? Right? But so, so sometimes you see that there's a separation. And friends, I have to tell you, there cannot be a separation for the people of God. If you have said yes to Jesus, you have now become a part of the body of Christ, also known, or aka, the church, the ecclesia. You have now been drafted into this thing called the church. And so it is no longer a, 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 a an outside looking in, that's them, I'm not a part of that. No, we are, are in, and this is what we are a part of, and this is why it behooves us as a people of God to know who we are and to know how, how we're called to, to live in this space and in this thing that is so precious to Jesus. Um, so this body or the church has, has, uh, is not only a universal thing, but it has local expressions, right? And so there is the church because we know that when Jesus returns to pick up his church, it is going to be one church. 
There is one body that Jesus is coming to pick up. It is the church. He is not coming back to pick up Restoration LA and all the other churches are going to get left behind. He is coming to pick up his church. So there is the church, and then there's the local expression of the church, which we have the privilege to be a part of here at Restoration Los Angeles, and others have the privilege to be a part of all of the thousands of churches that are here, obviously, in SoCal and beyond, right? And so all Christians are a part. There's a universal church. This is the great gathering before the throne of God of all born-again believers from every nation, tribe, people, and tongue, a gathering that is happening right now and will culminate at the return of Jesus. So the universal church is gathering around the globe, but that word culminate is we'll come together at the return of Jesus, and we are going to be one church. And I promise you, we are going to be so ashamed of the way that we have spoken about ourselves. There's going to be denominations and churches that you absolutely knew were, were not going to make it, and they're going to be there in heaven with us. And there's probably some you think we're absolutely going to make it, and maybe won't, but I'll leave that to your thinking, not mine. Um, so um, it is a universal church that re- uh, Jesus refers to in Matthew chapter 16, uh, verses 18, and in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, where he, his church, right, this universal church, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, his body, this one church. And then we see the local church, the local expression of the universal church. It's a, it's a, it's a prophetic picture of the universal church, right? It's just a small fragment of what the bigger church is. And we are called to be that. We are called to be a, a picture of what the greater church is. And this is what really I love about Restoration LA is we get a really cool picture of tribes, tongues, nations, different backgrounds, different people group. I mean, we, we're fortunate to be in Los Angeles and experience that. Some other people don't. I have friends who um, have planted churches in some areas, and that demographic of that area is very monotone. And, and, and that's in other nations as well. I mean, you go to other nations and you go to a Mexican church, it's only going to be Mexicans in that church, right? And so we, we, we have this beautiful privilege to be here in Los Angeles and have this, this picture or this snapshot of what the church is going to look like. It's going to look like young and old. It's going to look like black, white, brown, and every other shade. It's, it's beautiful expression of what the church is, is um, going to look like in the end. It's a prophetic picture. Um, the local church is the gathering of believers for the purpose, listen, friends, of teaching, instruction, fellowship, worship, prayer, and ministry. It is this local church that Jesus refers to in Matthew 18, 17, when speaking about church discipline. If he refuses to listen to them, then tell it to the church, right? We see this local gathering that individuals who are within the church are, listen, friends, accountable to, right? Because if you are a part of something, you are accountable to something. How many of you believe that? Maybe not all of you believe that. I believe that. If you you understand authority, you recognize that if you are a part of something, then you are accountable to something. Now, I'm a father and a husband in my home, right? So I I am the husband to Vanessa. I'm the father to my six children. And as much as I like to think that I am the king of my castle, I am still accountable to my family. I am still accountable to my wife. 
I let my wife know where I'm going. I let her know my plans. We, we, we link up and, and, and talk about, hey, is what she needs to do more primary than what I need to do today? And we sync our calendar. And, and like there's an accountability to my family no matter what position I hold. And it's the same within the family of God. It's the same within the local church. There has to be accountability to who we are because we are the church. And it's amazing to me to think that sometimes we just feel so separate and there is such a, such a degree of separation between us and the local church. There's just no accountability. And I just want to encourage us today. That's not what Jesus intended. And let me be a little more stronger. That's not the church that Jesus is building. In the local, in the local um, sense, church clearly refers to a community of believers gathering in the name of Jesus in a particular location. For us, it's East Los Angeles. Jesus promises, listen, to build his church, both universal and local. So, so as the, the, the universal church is growing, we as a local church are also growing, and vice versa. As we as a local church is growing, so is the universal church. Are you guys with me? And so he does this, listen, by calling people to himself. Jesus is building this church, and it's Jesus who is calling people to himself. He is calling you to himself. You found yourself here because Jesus is drawing you to himself. And where is Jesus found across the globe is in local church gatherings, whether they're in a home, whether they're out, on a, on a, in, out in a field, whether, whether they're in a, in a church, uh, you know, chapel style, or whether they're in a warehouse church, wherever it might be, Jesus is drawing people to himself, and that's, this is why we gather. He is undeniably, listen, friends, the head of his church. Jesus is the head of his church. The church has a founder and a foundation. And the founder of this church is Jesus. And the foundation is Jesus. He is the rock, as we talked about last week. He is the revelation and the testimony of the person of Jesus on which his church is built. The church also has an owner. His name is Jesus. It is not you. It is not me. I know I, there, I, I have a bit of a family legacy within the life of this church. And so I tell people sometimes, hey, you know, my great-grandfather was, was very instrumental in building this building here in 1946. And, and my family has been part of this church since it was erected. And my father pastored uh, in this place for you know, nearly 30 years. And so people are like, oh, so you own the church. And I'm like, no, <laughs> I do not own the church. No way, shape, or form do I own the church. This is Jesus' church. One day when I don't lead this church, I will hand over anything that Jesus has given me to someone else and say, Lord, lead them in the way you have led me. It's not, this is not ours. Jesus owns this thing. He is the owner of the church. The church has a great destiny, and this means through which the kingdom of Jesus Christ will advance. Lastly, we also know that the church has an enemy. That enemy is, is Satan. And we know the enemy's way of coming against the church or the people of God or the family of God or the tribe of God or the army of God. And that's to kill, to steal, and to destroy. This is the enemy's plan for those who would come 
and connect with Jesus and be a part of this thing that he is building. And so we, we, we see that in this, God has always done what he has needed to do, friends, to protect his church. And, and one way that Jesus protects his church is through leadership. One way that Jesus protects his church is through shepherds. If you know anything about shepherding and you know anything about um, those enemies of the sheep, wolves uh, in, in Australia, it would be fox. And I think I've shared a lot of um, stories of you about, about how fox are predators on sheep. And uh, we have a, a friend who is actually in Australia and he is a, 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 a true-to-life sheep farmer. And th- th- the depth of this man's wisdom on shepherding is, is amazing. Uh, because he is a true shepherd, but he knows Jesus, and he has drawn all of these, you know, kind of truths of, of, of how things um, can very easily be put into a spiritual context when it comes to the enemy, the fox, coming into the world of the sheep, and how detrimental that is to the people of God. And so because of that, because the, the wolves and the enemy are always around and always trying to steal, kill, and to destroy God's people, God has, in his ultimate wisdom, set up a pattern to protect his people, to protect his sheep. And we see this in the church, and it's called leadership. Can you say leadership? So there are many ways the church is described. I just, I just flew through a, a bit of them because I was excited. A nation. How many of you know that a nation needs leadership? Yeah. Right? A temple. If we look at the Old Testament, um, uh, temple worship, right? In temple worship, there were so many elements of, of leadership that were needed, right? There was the inner courts and the outer courts, and there was a holies of holies, and there was so many uh, different priests and, and, and um, leadership that needed to just be available for proper worship, right? We see uh, a priesthood. We see a body, a bride, an army, a family. And listen, friends, as much as we might have a favorite of one of those, It cannot be at the expense of any other ones because they are all expressions in Scripture. And so you might like to say, well, I love the church. That's an army. I want to get up and go, and we're going to advance the kingdom of God, and this is going to be awesome. So you might like the church as an army. I love the church as an army. More Marine Corps, but it's called army, so we'll deal with it. But it can't be at the expense that it's also called the family. And as it is a family, there's an expression that we need to connect with that. The same with nation and, and temple and, and bride. And I know men might not be comfortable with that, but we have to be comfortable with it because it's in Scripture. We are the bride of Christ. Throughout church um, history, it, um, there seems to have been a, a, a consistent, listen, friends, deviation from the biblical pattern of local church leadership as laid out in Scripture. We just always lose our way somehow. We see this in the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament. There comes division. People, the, we have, when you put two people in a room, there's going to be issues. And as churches grow and as things get bigger, there's going to always be issues. And really, I believe the reason why is because we deviate from the scriptural patterns. God has given us a pattern in Scripture, and through those patterns of Scripture, we have to stand on them and hold tight to them because where there is biblical pattern, 
So my friend uh, Terry Kruger says this, and I, I've adopted it. Where there is biblical pattern, we see biblical blessing. Are you with me? When we do things the Lord's way, we are blessed. It's pretty simple. And so how we fi- where we find the Lord's way is in Scripture. Right, so we've somehow the church has deviated from it historically. Uh, we, we particularly in in a favor of more pragmatic or or logical or sensible leadership, and a lot of this is shaped by culture, and so we allow the the world's culture to infiltrate our leadership style in the life of the church because it makes more sense to people. But how many of you know that we are not operating in the world system? Let me say that again. How many of you know we are not operating in the world system? We are operating in the kingdom system. And in this kingdom system, there is a king, and what the king has said goes. And so as he has laid out what what leadership looks like in the church, we cannot deviate from that. We would love to adopt a business model because it works in the American culture. But the church, let me remind us, and I hope you're very clear about this, friends. The church is not a business. Now, there are financial components and administrative components and, and, and um, accountability to the state of California and to the United States government with our nonprofit status because those things are necessary to operate as a church. And so, yes, there are some business components that we need to have skillful people operating in. But, friends, it is still not a business. It is a living, breathing church that Jesus is building, and we answer to him First and foremost, more than ever, the church needs to return to simplicity of scriptures, teaching on the local church leadership, and leaders need to embrace Jesus's example. A servant leader who trusted, loved, and obeyed the Father completely. Who was never abusive, never controlling or self-centered in his motives, who opposed religion and bondage and power. Um, passionately, and who patiently extended mercy and grace to the hurting and to the hungry. This is what biblical leadership looks like. This is what the biblical expression of leadership should look like in the life of a local church. And how we see this get to the people, we see in, 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 in Matthew chapter 14 in, in regards to wineskin. How many of you understand what a wineskin is? We see in Matthew, Matthew 14, we see a, a wineskin is that which carries the life and presence of God, right? So you think of it truly like a wineskin, or have you ever seen like, a, like a old, some of those old camel thermists, like camel skin thermist? It's kind of like that. It's, just, it's, 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 a, it's a, a literal skin that they would fill wine with, and they would carry it in the wine. And so as, as the wine ferments, it, it begins to expand. And if, if the wine skin cannot contain the wine any longer, it'll eventually burst. And so the, the wine skin has to be able to match the life of God, right? And when we see things getting shaken or even things bursting, what is happening is that wineskin is no longer able to carry the life. That's why you see some churches have implosions, because it's no longer able to carry the life that God is wanting to bring to the people, right? And so something has to burst in in order for a new wineskin to be used that is going to actually carry the life of God. If you think of a wineskin has a bunch of holes in it, if you think about a church leadership that is broken and and, and has a bunch of holes in it, And as you're filling it up with wine and you're trying to take it to the people, it empties out before it even gets to them. And so in that case, that wineskin 
has to be renewed, right? And so this, this happens constantly, and we have to be very aware of that within the local church. So this is what I'm talking about when I talk about wineskin. Oh, gosh, I have to hurry up. Um. So the purpose, listen, friends, of church leadership and, admin, um, and administration is to always release the life of God to his people. This is what leaders do. We release the life of God to his people. And so when you think about this, it, let, let's just say in, in a really bad scenario, you know, a husband and a wife come to um, pastors or shepherds in the church and say, we need help. Our marriage is holding on by a thread. It is not our job to bring a stick and discipline this couple for all the things that they have done wrong and hammer them because he is not the priest of his home and she is not submitting to her husband. It is our job to bring the life of God to them. Are you hearing me? Because we are shepherds, we want to bring the life of God to them because it is that life that, they, that they're going to need in order for that marriage to fall in line with those truths that I, I was just sharing with you that are in Ephesians 5, just in case you didn't know. Every aspect of wine and wineskin must be measured against biblical truth. And so it has to be found uh, in Scripture. So in other words, the purpose of church leadership is, is to bring this, this wine or this life to God's people. Um, and so in Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, we see these components that Jesus has established that are responsible for bringing life to God's people. Philippians chapter 1, uh, we see it, it is saints, deacons, and elders. Can you say that with me? Say saints, deacons, and elders, right? And uh, these saints, deacons, and, and elders, they work together as one team to advance the kingdom of God. This is the biblical pattern we see in the local churches in scripture. Uh, we see it um, throughout most of the epistles, right? You see um, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. We see it in the encouraging, the pastoral letters to Timothy and to Titus. We see it in 1 Peter. We, we see the local church and leaders being admonished to continuously bring life to God's people, right? This is um, the, 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 the partnership that we see within the local church. And if you remember quite a few months back when um, Paul Nichols was here, he spoke about this partnership and that Greek word there is called koinonia. It's this, it's this covenantal partnership that we have together and these are expressed with saints, elders, and deacons. And so I want to give you a brief explanation of each so saints, so I want you to look at someone next to you and tell them you are a saint. Now listen, this, this, this might mess with you if, 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 like me, you had any Catholic upbringing because you're like, I am no santo and you're not lighting a candle to me. I'm telling you that right now, right? Listen, friends, we have been sanctified by Jesus. When we said yes to Jesus, we have been brought into this family of God. We've been brought into this church. We are now saints of the living God. The local church was never meant to be a community of ministry experts with particular titles ministering to the vast majority of the passive recipients. Let me say this again. The local church was never meant to be a community of ministry experts 
with particular titles ministering to the vast majority of passive recipients. Meaning, if the church that we belong to is, there's a few very skilled people who do the leading and everyone else just receives, receives the wine. That's not the church that Jesus is building. And this is why you have been invited into sainthood. This is why you have been invited into, as the apostle Peter shares, the priesthood of all believers. We are all priests are those who minister as unto the Lord. And listen to this, friends, and unto each other, right? This is not the, the, where the masses look to the few. This is all hands on deck. This is what sainthood is. God's intent um, um, was, was never for his people to be a community led by a priest, but rather a community of priests doing the work of ministry in order to listen, friends, forcefully, say forcefully, forcefully advance his kingdom, intentionally advance his kingdom. A born-again believer of Jesus Christ is a saint, is a saint. So she should all be rooting for the saints. I know they're uh, from Louisiana, but they're, that's us. I'm just kidding. Raiders are in the Bible too. They're just a little more negative connotations. Um, <laughs> so listen, a born-again believer of Jesus Christ is a saint, and therefore, listen, friend, you have been enlisted into the army of God called to advance his kingdom. Every one of us. So we are already drafted into this biblical style of leadership. Next, next is elders. Can you say elders? Now, this is probably, if you came out of, if you're in the Christian church, you, you probably have been more comfortable with hearing the word pastor. And so that, that's, it's, it's a word that is very easily interchanged within the New Testament, and I just want to bring some clarity. So listen, the Bible uses three words interchangeably to describe this same office. And it's not necessarily an office, it's more a function. It's as I am a saint, Jody, Saint Jody, no, just kidding. I am a saint. My function within this local church is as an elder. That is, that is the role the Lord has anointed me to play in this season of our local church, right? And so in that, we see elder or presbyteros. This word describes a qualification of spiritual maturity. So there is a requirement of spiritual maturity for those who are called to eldership. There's also a word used interchangeably here, and it's a word shepherd, and it's, it's poimeino, this word describes the ministry of pastoring. This is where we get the word pastor. The word pastor is not in the Bible, so you won't see it. And this is why we use the word elder at Restoration Los Angeles. It's just the word pastor is just not used in Scripture. And again, because we are called to be a biblical people, we just want, we're not trying to be like, you know. But it's, it's, it's the only word used in Scripture, to the elders, deacons, and saints in the church. This is how we read Scripture. The word also used here for elder is overseer. Can you say overseer? And so that's episkopos. And this word means the work of overseeing, right? There is an administration. There's a spiritual oversight in the life of the church. This is the role of elder. This is one of the components in the leadership within the local church. Biblically, therefore, um, a, a pastor is an elder, there's another word out there that we, we don't use, um, and you'll see it in, in some English translations. It's bishop. 
And so if you, if you, hang, around, if you hang around with my dad, my dad calls all our elders here bishops. Um, so, so he'll walk in, hey, bishop. And so, yeah, we, we, we're not bishops either. But, um, and and here's, here's the only reason why. Because sometimes those words have been used and expressed in hierarchical ways that we just do not agree with. Right? We, we do not agree with, with you know, the, some of the other expressions of churches that put people in a hierarchical place that brings religious oppression upon other local churches. That's just not what we believe. And so um, what an elder does, listen, friends, is govern and administrates the church. And it's in three areas, discipline, doctrine, and direction. And so these are the areas that elders um, um, give themselves to, discipline, doctrine, and direction. If there is a, a disciplinary action that needs to take place in the church, obviously we use Matthew um, chapter 18 as, as, a, as a blueprint of how we deal with that, and we walked through that before, um, but also in, in, in personal ways. Um, it, it is the elders who are going to step into those, those areas and, and administrate that. They are not the end-all and be-all of all decision-making processes, but they are the ones who are going to oversee what, what, what that looks like. Um, so oversee the keeping of the church and keeping the church focused on the big picture, right? This, this is what the elders should be doing because that's direction, right? The direction in the life of the church. The elders are going to keep us focused and going that way. And then we see um, shepherding, to lead and to protect, um, to, to pastor, to nurture, to feed, and to encourage. This is what the elders do. And so there's these very three areas, but I think most of us are really comfortable just with the shepherding role. I want my pastor to be available for me 24-7. If I need him, I should be able to call him, and he's available, and that's what I want. I like the pastor who is a shepherd. I don't like the pastor who is a disciplinarian. I don't like the pastor who is an overseer. I just like the shepherd. And so you have to understand that that's not the only only role that we fulfill in the life of a church, right? And so also, I don't believe that a, a pastor is a pastor over a ministry. And this is what I mean. So you cannot be the worship pastor. Because worship is, if it's, if it's talking about worship, if worship is a ministry, then you can't be a pastor of a ministry. We pastor people, not ministries, and so Brett leads our tech team. He's an, it's over, an oversight area in the life of the church. But he is not the pastor of the tech team. Right? So he doesn't pastor the tech. Right? He, he pastors people. And that goes beyond the tech. And so I hope you guys are, 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 are hearing me. Okay. So then we get into deacons. Right? And so, um, so deacons, again, we, we, you might have other expressions in, in the life of church. You see deacon boards and elder boards. And so there, there aren't any expressions of those things at Restoration LA. Um, there probably had been in our past coming um, as we have evolved and transitioned um, what was Belvedere Church of the Brethren, which was started in 1922, which we will be celebrating 100 years next year. Let me just plug that. Um, 1922, uh, and then 1946, moving here to this place, being Bella Vista Church of the Brethren. Um, and then 2010, when our, our church planting group merged with um, Bella Vista, becoming Restoration Los Angeles. And so um, there have been probably expressions of this in the past, we just don't see it as biblical. We don't see a board, a, a, a deacon board, an elder board in scripture. And so 
Um, although we do believe that every person has the power and authority to to bring and contribute and to and to um, um, make help make help us make decisions, and God has in, through His ultimate wisdom and by the Spirit, there's been just such beautiful consensus within the life of our church as we have grown in the last eleven years. Um, I, I don't I don't know if we've had any tumultuous anything other than Steve not liking some of our pictures, but. Um, <laughs> Anyways, some churches have broke or have split over carpet color, just so you know. We will never vote on carpet color. We're not going to vote on, on, on decor. We're not doing that. Sorry, we just don't do that. So we, we have given people responsibility and giftings, and we trust them to do it and have fun. But listen, deacons, uh, examples of deacons in, 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 in the New Testament include Stephen and Philip. This is in Acts chapter 6, 6 through 8. And so notice that there's a vast difference between the biblical description of deacons and how church tradition has typically defined deacons, right? If, if, you, if you've ever been a part of a denominational church or come from any kind of um, um, other flavor of church, you, you'll see deacons uh, serving in, in a very particular way. And I'm not sure if it was good or bad in your experience, um, but sometimes I have seen deacon boards take absolute control over a church and stronghold a church in, in some ways. And I, I, I can't tell you a name of a church or anybody, but I've, I've experienced it in different ways. And a, a friend of ours named Ron Larson, he says, man, those people are deacon-possessed. Um, <clears throat> and so listen, deacons, we see the qualifications of deacons are found in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. And deacons are to do these things. Listen, friends. Number one, Serve alongside and support the eldership. So the deacons are in, in, in direct support and in direct connection with the eldership team. We serve hand in hand. We're not two teams. We are one team playing two different positions. Are you guys with me? Okay, so deacons and elders um, serve alongside each other. And so the, but the deacons are supporting the elders. Um, deacons, listen, friends, they shepherd those entrusted to their care. So they are also shepherds within the life of the church. So there is a pastoral role, because that's what that word comes from. There is a pastoral role for shepherds in loving and caring. So we see this in our home groups. And so we believe that our home group leaders are performing a, a shepherding um, gift within the life of our church, therefore warrant being deacons within the life of the church, because they are caring for God's people, Right. So they're um, shepherding those who are entrusted to their care. Next, listen, they expand the ministry of their own gifting. And so we, as we see with Stephen and Philip, these men weren't just little deacons who did little chores for the elders, and, you know, little gophers who did things, and, you know, the elders need something, and so the deacons run, and they help, and they do it, right? This is not what deacons do. Deacons are men and women of God who are carrying gifts, who help expand right? Um, the kingdom of God through their own giftings. We see Stephen and Philip doing amazing things within the kingdom. And it wasn't limited to that Acts 6 portion of scripture where they helped solve some of the issues that the people were having with the food bank system that was happening in the early church, right? So they expand the ministry of their own gifting. And listen, they assist with the stewardship and the administration of church growth and expansion. Because this is what happens when you have proper leadership in, in place. We see in Acts 6, when those first set of deacons were, were set into the life of the church, the church grew. The church grew. And as a church grows, we need leadership. 
there's two portions of scripture that I have to give you guys that you guys are going to have to do your homework with. Listen to me. Acts, um, I'm sorry, Exodus chapter 18. I want you to write this down. Exodus chapter 18, verses 13 through 24. We see in the Old Testament, there was a need for leadership. Moses set himself as judge and as judge of the, of the people of God. Listen, friends, there was scholars, there's a big disparity between a million and two million, it's a big, but it's a lot of people. So there could be a, between a million or two million people who made the great exodus out of, out of Egypt, right? And so he set himself as judged and day in and day out, he would, stand, he would sit and they would come to him and he would sort out their problems for them. A million plus people. They would come and come and, well, this person, you know, they, they, they borrowed something from me and they didn't give it back. And, you know, I fixed this person's sandal and he did this and then he never paid me for it, right? Just say, I don't know what they're bickering about. There's a whole lot that they're, they're complaining about. They're complaining about heavenly food. Imagine that. So day in and day out, right? He, he is, and, and so his father-in-law notices this and be like, what are you doing? You're gonna kill yourself. What you're doing is not good. You cannot continue to do this. You're going to have to actually do, uh, bring people around you who can take care of these smaller things, which may not have been small things in those people's lives, but it was small compared to what Moses was called to. He was leading a million plus people out of captivity, right? He was called to, to walk them into the promised land, and he's being bogged down by solving their problems. And this is what happens with so many pastors. Pastors' offices are lined up with people and all he is doing is solving their problems and solving their problems and solving their problems. And so that is, instead of him getting into these other areas of oversight and vision casting and advancing the kingdom, they're bogged down strictly with solving people's problems. And that's not what pastors or deacons are called to do. We're called to point them to Jesus. Jesus is the problem solver. But listen, friends, we have to know that this leadership was needed even in the Old Testament. And so what Moses does, he establishes elders. He uses elders in, in the, within the tribe of Israel. Those elders are established. They took care of all of those issues that were going on so that Moses could lead the people that God was calling them to lead into the promised land. Isn't that amazing? So that's Old Testament. And then we see the same thing happen in the New Testament. We see that in Acts um, Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, we see the same thing. The church, right? The Holy Spirit falls in, in, in Acts. The church explodes. We see when Peter preaches um, his first sermon, thousands of people come to salvation, and the church is a mega church on day one. And now there's issues. Because all these people we see in Acts 2.42, they, they met in each other's homes, and they were sharing everything. It was food, and it was just this beautiful time in the early church, right? And so it, as rapidly as it was growing, there was issues happening because people who came into the, came for the Pentecost feast never left. They decided to stay. And so these people had to be cared for. And so the church had to rally and say, hey, we got to take care of these people. Let's start feeding them. So they started a food bank and they started feeding all these people. And now there's issues because these people group are getting fed before these people group. And we think you're feeding them first because they come from that region. And we think you're not feeding us because we're Gentiles or all the things that were, I mean, all the issues we have as church people, right? Well, pastor likes them more. That's why they're doing all that stuff, right? 
So, so the apostles realized at that time, it's not good for us to be sorting out these things. We shouldn't be dealing with little people's fighting. We need people, anointed people filled with the spirit of God and wisdom to sort out these things. And so the 11 disciples who are now in charge of this, who are apostles now, who are now in charge of this mega church needed a team around them. So they set in these deacons who are not just gophers, men filled with the spirit of God and wisdom to begin to administrate and love God's people. And what do we see? The church explodes. Growth. Because what happens when we set in biblical leadership is the shoulders of the church now expand. So now, um, Steve, Zeke, can you guys come up here? So, um, so if you think of, of a church that has one pastor who's doing everything, and I'm telling you, this is most small churches in America. There is one pastor who, had a, who was called by God who probably set out with great intentions to do wonderful things for Jesus, but he's doing it alone. And I'm telling you, it gets exhausting. And most pastors, honestly, most first-time pastors burn out within three years. Three years. What happens is his shoulders aren't strong enough or, or broad enough to carry the load. But now that we have, we have two other people come alongside, Steve's a little bit taller, but it, it works. Right now, our shoulders have brought in, right? Uh, we see that passage in the scripture. Uh, actually, I think Patrick shared it with me when we were talking about marriage. But, but two, right, can now carry a little bit more, right? But three, we could carry even a little more, right? And so our shoulders now have space. So, so we could carry when more comes, more people come, when more life comes, because there's people shoulder to shoulder, we can carry more. And this is God's plan for biblical leadership within the life of the church. I'm sorry, it was a little cheesy, but thanks. <clears throat> you see the shoulder with expanded, so now that we can carry more, and God can trust us with more, and this is what leadership is. It is God's gift to the church. And so I pray that as you begin to have an understanding and get locked into uh, uh, um, who we are as a local church, that you understand, number one, what biblical leadership is. Your role as a saint your role is connecting with deacons in the life of the church and elders in the life of the church and why it's important for us to, to, to allow Jesus to use these giftings for our benefit. Are you with me? A lot of times when I call people and say, hey, I would love to get with you, you know, I know this. Well, people that I'm a little more connected with say this, why, what happened? <laughs> like nothing happened. I want to connect with you. What are you talking about, Right? I, mean, I, I pray that you don't have that thing like, why, what happened? I pray it's because I want to connect with you. Because if you're called in the life of this church and God has given elders and deacons as gifts to you for your benefit, that you are utilizing that leadership in your life. That you are actually utilizing that leadership. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing to me to think that we have cut out biblical leadership in our life. I see people make huge decisions in their life and have never invited any godly leadership into making those decisions. Huge decisions. God, in his ultimate wisdom, gave a structure for us as a local church and the universal church, right, to use for our benefit. The church is the only thing that Jesus is building. And if we are a part of that, we need to utilize all those things that he has given to us ultimately for his glory, but it becomes for our benefit, right? We see the biblical pattern in those Old Testament, um, those Old Testament patterns and the New Testament patterns. There's a problem, 
right? There's issues with the people. There's a solution, right? Godly leadership steps in, and then there's a result, right? The result is when leadership steps in, God's ways come in, and, and those things get sorted out, and we get blessed, right? Biblical pattern brings biblical blessing. The lessons supporting leaders like deacons and elders, given the authority, um, can carry, they carry God's anointing, and they can help in administrating the life of God within a local church. This is what we need. This is what we need. We need to see God's giftings being released to do that which is what they're called to do so that God's anointing will flow, for the life of God to flow. <clears throat> so the biblical pattern we see of this leadership, uh, we can conclude uh, for Restoration LA that we want to be a biblical people. This is why we have this style of leadership at Restoration Los Angeles, because we want to be a biblical people. Again, I'm not saying anyone who's doing something else is not trying to be biblical. I'm saying this is how we ha have interpreted what the scriptures have said in our partnerships. And it goes beyond just elders, deacons, and saints. And we have apostolic partnership. It is also a huge part of this, and I'm, I'm running out of time, but let me just read this last passage. It's just a snapshot of, of what beautiful koinonia looks like within a church. This is Apostle, well, I believe it's the Apostle Paul reading in Hebrew. The writer of Hebrews, who is undefined in Scripture, I believe it's Paul. You can disagree with me, that'll be okay. Hebrews chapter 13 says this, and do not neglect doing good and sharing for um, with such sacrifice, God is pleased. This is um, the writing. So the saints are receiving this, right? And he's talking to the saints. And as he says to the saints, he says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account, so that they may do this with joy and not groaning, for this would not be helpful for you. And I know a lot of pastors like to use that and say, See, you guys should just obey us and things will go well with you. You're not my kid, so I would never say anything like that. But this is God's pattern. And it's not obedience like do what I say, because all we're called to do is bring you life, right? We care, as a wineskin, we carry the life of God to you, and the obedience isn't to us. The obedience is to that which God is saying, right? So if you come to me with a problem with your marriage, I am going to bring scripture, right, and, and hopefully some some. I'm life-giving words from the Holy Spirit and say, I really believe this is what God is asking you to do. So it's not you obeying me, it's obeying that which I'm telling you that God is asking you to do, right? <clears throat> so that, that's, that's why is we can read here, then it will go, it'll be, um, one interpretation says, it'll go well with you. This one says, for this would be unhelpful for you. <clears throat> if we just disobey the spiritual authority that God has placed in our life to bring us life. And then verse 18, which is a small nuance, but I want us to hear it. This apostolic ministry, and pray for us. For we are sure that we have a good conscience desiring to conduct ourselves honorably in all things. And, and it's just a real obscure passage, but I want to show this. There's saints, there's elders and deacons, and apostolic ministry working together, right, as this church. This is who we're called to be. Apostolic ministry is not a hierarchy. Eldership and deacons are not a hierarchy. This is people fulfilling the role that God has called them to. When you look at your family structure, right, as much as, as, as parents are needed, 
In God's economy, parents are not more valuable than children. Do we believe that? And it's the same within the local church. Apostolic ministry is not more valuable than local church leadership. And we actually believe that local elders are the highest authority within the local church. Right? It's not an outside authority coming in and saying, you got to do this and you got to do that. Right? We don't see that in scripture. But we see this koinonia, this partnership that happens together as we grow together. And this happens because it's a biblical pattern that God has set. And so I've probably muddied a lot of water right now. I'm hoping not because I want to bring clarity. In this Ecclesia um, series, my heart has been this, friends, that you have an understanding of the local church that you are a part of. You understand the leadership and, and, and the, it's not a philosophy, but if you can understand what I'm saying, the ministry philosophy that we carry as a church because we see it in scripture. And so I want you to go through these things and I want you to ask yourself this for this sermon. How am I allowing church leadership to bring me life? Because this is our role. It is my role, not just on a Sunday, not deacon's role, just on their home group day, we are, we are shepherds 24-7. And I hope that you're utilizing it to the nth degree for your growth, for your life, because God is truly building his church. And this is the way he's chosen to build it. And if he's doing it this way, this is what I want to be a part of. Amen? Amen. Will you guys mind standing with me? I'm going to have to send you my notes because I left out three pages, just so you know. <laughs> Jesus, I am thankful that we can be confident in the fact that you are building your church. But I pray that we also have a, a fierce revelation that you are building it a very particular way. And there might be nuances about that way that we don't understand. There might be nuances even that we might not agree with. But I pray because we know that you are king or that we will bow our knee to your methods. This is your church. And whether we were in this church or whether we, 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 we get called to another church, Lord, that we would want to see biblical pattern expressed within the local church that we belong to. Lord, I pray for men and women in the life of this place that don't see themselves as saints. Lord, that they will recognize their position and their place within this body. Lord, I pray for those who have maybe had a negative experience with, with deacons or, or, or with elders, pastors. Lord, I pray for a, a, a newfound trust and confidence, not in man, but in your ways and in your truths. Lord, I pray for those who have answered the call for it, of deacon in the life of our church, Gavin and Ange, Jordan, Eli, Monica, Linton, and Sarah, Lord, those who will be called, I believe, in the near future. 
Lord, as they carry this mantle of deacon in the life of our church, Lord, that they will always bring life giving water to those they are called to lead and to love and to serve. Lord, I pray for our eldership team. Stephen, Jessica, Ken and Annette, Brett and Kathy, Vanessa and I, and those who will be called onto the eldership team here, God. But that we will lead with fear and trembling, not of man, but of you, God that we will be servant-hearted leaders like you. And Lord, as the saints in this place look to this leadership team to bring them life-giving water, Lord, that they will trust, they will trust the anointing, Lord, they will trust the foundations (laughs) and those relational bridges, if they have not been built, Lord, that they will be willing to walk across those bridges to see something beautiful built. Help us, God, in this next season. As you are raising more leaders, give us wisdom. But I, be- I truly believe you're calling more into these areas of leadership. But I pray for gifting and anointings to be just unlavished in this next season. I pray that the shoulders of Restoration LA will broaden. I pray more men and women will, will stop disqualifying themselves and really step into the place that I believe that you have called them to. Lord, I, I speak against the enemy. I speak against the enemy, God, and his ways to divide, to kill, steal, and destroy, and those lies that have disqualified people. But I pray they will stop listening to that voice. I pray they will stop sitting at the table of the enemy. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, one thing I just wanted to say lastly Anytime Jesus built something or the Father built something, we see God in the creation stories on the, on the first day after he created, he said it was good. Jesus is building his church. Listen, friends. And as imperfect as we might believe it is, his church is good. And the way he is building his church, friends, is good. Anytime we set in more elders or more deacons, friends, it is good. Anytime more people say yes to Jesus and come into this body of believers and become the saints that they're called to be, it is good. That's the church Jesus is built in. I pray that you have that view of the church, that she is good because he is is building it. Amen? Amen. Go with God. We love you guys. We'll see you guys soon.